You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. A winter wallop catching some lower mainlanders by surprise today. Serious snow accumulation throwing a wrench into the morning commute. Catherine Urquhart shows us who bore the brunt of the wintry blast. And yet another snowstorm hits Metro Vancouver. It wasn't widespread. Instead, there were pockets of snow. Port Moody, one of the regions impacted, the snow sticking on roads and sidewalks, making for a slow morning commute. On Johnson Street in Coquitlam, icy conditions led to several cars spinning out and crashing into one another. On Burnaby Mountain, officers were forced to block off Gillardy Way at Broadway due to the poor conditions. Morning classes at SFU were cancelled. A frightening scene in Coquitlam's Westwood Plateau, where a driverless car slid down a hill. The apparent owner seen racing after it before it smashed into another vehicle. With as much as 20 centimeters of the white stuff falling, it was a good time to own a snowblower. Were you expecting another dump of snow like this? Not like this, no. It was raining in Vancouver when I left, and it's um, pretty heavy now. Why the intense system? Only in some areas? Some of these snow showers are quite heavy. We're under an upper level low, so it's a cold core of air with bands of moisture rotating around. With scenes like these, it's hard to believe spring is less than two weeks away. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Yeah, pretty, pretty thick out there for many people. Let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon. Christy, is this it? Are we finally finished with the snow? Unfortunately, no. What Mark was explaining there, we still have an, another 24 hours of that instability to get through. And what that means is you'll see some breaks of blue sky like we saw today, but these pockets or these isolated cells can roll through and they can happen almost anywhere. In fact, we're watching one right now move across the Strait of Georgia. Lightning strikes near uh, Ladysmith about an hour ago. It is weakening a bit, but it is still very ominous out there. Here's a look at our tower cam shot as the dark clouds move in and these can produce really intense and brief downpours of rain, hail or snow. And we'll be contending with this right through our day tomorrow. So you really need to be prepared for almost anything. Well, it has been a long stretch. It will continue. Thank you, Christy. Meantime, investigators are trying to determine if weather played a role in a frightening crash on Highway 1 this afternoon that caused major delays. Take a look. In this dash cam video sent to Global News, you can see the driver losing control, the truck swerving back and forth before flipping onto its side. Now, it happened westbound on Highway 1 just before Willingdon, blocking three lanes of traffic for hours. The fallout was quick. Traffic backed up with only the HOV lane open for motorists to get through. It took almost four hours before the stretch was cleared and reopened. Thankfully, there were no serious injuries. Investigators will be using the dash cam footage to help them determine exactly what happened here. Panic and chaos as fire ripped through an apartment building overnight in Abbotsford. One person was killed, several others taken to hospital. Jill Bennett explains how the weather added to the challenge of escaping the blaze. 
Around 10.30 Wednesday night, flames tore through this complex in Abbotsford, blocking access to stairwells and sending at least eight people to balconies to be rescued by fire crews. There's a little British lady that lives in there who's trapped up on the second patio. She couldn't get out because all the black smoke was coming out through her patio window. Making matters even worse, the winter weather. It was very difficult in trying conditions, uh, partially due to the snow and ice. So we had a, a, a very uh, large slip hazard and just operating off the ladders and taking people off the third floor during this kind of conditions. By the time we got out, we can already hear the fire trucks and stuff on their way. As firefighters made their way inside, they found a woman in her 60s who didn't survive. Due to the extent of the fire, there was a, quite a bit of building collapse. So one of our members uh, spotted her underneath the building collapse and then they immediately brought her out of the building, passed her off to BCAS and unfortunately she succumbed to her injuries. Residents say it was chaotic, everyone trying to get to safety, while many were also locating and rescuing their pets. Most of the animals are accounted for. Now the focus shifts to the damage. Well, there's going to be a lot of water damage because um, they were dumping water on it for a really long time. It's unclear when the residents will be allowed back into the suites with the least amount of damage. Some are staying with family, others are using emergency services. Many didn't have insurance. And I know that a lot of people here probably don't either because half of their income basically goes to their rent. An investigator was brought in once the flames were put out. While the exact cause of the fire is unknown, it is not considered suspicious. Jill Bennett, Global News. A heads up about traffic hotspots in Vancouver you'll want to avoid this spring and summer as the city undertakes its construction and road improvement projects. Sarah McDonald is live with more on which routes will be affected. And Sarah, the plans were laid out this morning. Yeah, and the city laid out its schedule for summer road closures this morning. And those are on top of some big special events and roughly 150 film projects set to take place over the coming months. Needless to say, it's about to get even busier on the roads. No matter what your mode of transportation, we've all been there. Regardless, congestion is just going to increase in the city no matter, no matter what vehicle you choose. Congestion and gridlock in and around the city of Vancouver is virtually inevitable. And right on schedule, things are about to get a whole lot worse. It's going to be another busy, a busy year, um, but we are coordinating jobs as much as possible to minimize the impact on, uh, on commuters. The city outlining its schedule of construction projects, road upgrades and special events on Thursday. And commuters in virtually every part of the city will feel the impact in some way of some 30 kilometers of road work. It's just hours and hours of them trying to commute. From its east side to its west side to the west end. Major arteries connecting the downtown core also singled out for seismic street and sidewalk repairs. Along with vital corridors for Olympic Village and False Creek. Though if you're picturing this, don't despair just yet. The roadwork plan for the coming months not expected to be as painful as the gridlock so many commuters endured in 2018. There's so much construction already that like one more project I don't think would make a difference. Most of the projects you'll see this year involve modernization of sewers and pipes and upgrades for pedestrians and cyclists in tandem while shovels are already in the ground. Well, I think the end product is going to be fantastic. And that positive attitude and patience will be key for commuters in construction hotspots in the coming months. It's really hard to justify driving a car. It's just straight up impractical. As this city gears up for one of its less enjoyable seasonal traditions.
Well, as you mentioned, Sarah, patience is key. So I understand the city touched on another road work issue today that shouldn't be happening and causes a lot of extra problems. That's right, and that is a frustration that a lot of commuters will likely be familiar with. That is when it feels like there is road work everywhere you turn. The city says if you see too much construction in one concentrated area on the roads, there is a good chance that somebody is doing some work without permission there. That is not supposed to happen. The fine for that is $2,700, and city officials say that almost happens virtually every day on the streets of Vancouver. They are urging commuters, if you see something, say something, give them a call at 311. If you see something on the street, that just doesn't add up. All right. Thanks for the update. Sarah McDonald reporting in Vancouver tonight. Serious concerns are being raised tonight about the Fraser Health Authority's treatment of mental health patients. Residents in Chilliwack frustrated with the growing number of complex health cases seemingly being dumped in the community. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the city's mayor is now calling on Fraser Health to do something. Lunch time for 150 people at the Salvation Army shelter in Chilliwack. One client, not supposed to be here at all. According to the mayor, the woman in her 70s was simply dropped off after being discharged from Surrey Memorial Hospital last month. The biggest point for me is, is, is a warming center is not where this lady should be. She should be in a hospital. She's got some issues that, that you know, like a warming center cannot provide for her. According to homeless advocates, it's commonplace for people with complex medical needs being discharged from hospital prematurely with no place to go. Chilliwack has seen its homeless population surge in the last five years and resources in the community pushed to their breaking point. When we start getting the shift from other hospitals and sending people up here, I think it's appalling. I think every community needs to work together to solve a problem. Shifting it to another community is just not right. Caseworkers say it's an unusual situation, but they do get calls all the time from hospitals looking for room to discharge vulnerable patients. The health minister was asked about it in question period. How can this possibly be an acceptable practice? We don't know the facts yet. We have concerns that have been raised and we're gonna review those concerns. You bet we take them seriously. The minister promising to meet with the mayor of Chilliwack as part of the investigation to help find answers. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A herring fisherman drawing fierce criticism tonight for how his crew handled a large group of sea lions near his boat. In a video posted to social media, a bear banger was used to scare the mammals away. And while he remains unapologetic, calling it a harmless measure that keeps his crew safe, as John Waugh explains, critics are calling it cruelty that can't be condoned. Well, yeah, but for, for the video's sake. At first glance, it seems like another friendly wildlife encounter video. So many love to watch. Then, with a flash of light, this video takes a much darker turn as a bear banger is tossed into the water at the center of a group of stellar sea lions in the Strait of Georgia. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. The owner of the fishing boat has been vocal against sea lions before. This is just an example of one sea lion. Alan Marsden, seen in this 2017 Global News report, says bear bangers are no big deal. The perception is that, you know, in that video that we hurt the sea lions. There's absolutely nothing done to them sea lions that was hurt them. There's a bear banger. The herring fisherman calls it necessary, claiming to have been attacked and swarmed by a population of sea lions left unchecked. 
And at any given time, I will put the, the value of my life and my crew ahead of the sea lion at any day of the week. That was very disturbing for me to see that kind of activity. Until now, the Vancouver Aquarium's head veterinarian has never actually seen the act take place, but says he's often dealt with the consequences. There's uh, quite a few lesions we see in, in animals, um, eyes kind of um, you know, coming out of the head, that sort of thing that we've attributed to these sort of devices in the past. Dr. Helena also doesn't think this video shows danger. Oh, that was awesome. Just a disrespect for nature. I'm worried that there is sort of an escalating perception that it's okay. It's just simply not. Fisheries and Oceans Canada is investigating the incident, saying it's illegal to disturb, harm, or kill marine mammals. Charges may be laid. John Hua, Global News. A little more than two days now before daylight saving time kicks in and the biannual debate has begun on why we're still changing our clocks twice a year. Richard Zussman caught up with Premier John Horgan who says he gets more questions on daylight saving time than anything else. We should just get rid of daylight saving. Is the sort of thing Premier John Horgan has been hearing from people since he took office. Guys like Rick Field playing in the park with his granddaughter. Doesn't make any sense anymore. It used to when you had to get up and milk the cow at a regular hour, right? And with the daylight, but we have electricity now. On Sunday morning, most of British Columbia goes back to daylight saving time as part of the antiquated ritual. For parents with young kids, it means going to bed later, and in some cases, an unwelcome wake-up by mom and dad to keep on schedule. Usually take us about two to three days. This tradition could soon change. Premier John Horgan says he gets more letters about changing clocks than almost anything else writing a letter of his own this week to the governors of California, Oregon, and Washington states. We can act in unison, the four jurisdictions, make the case that we need to either stay with daylight saving time or stay with Pacific Standard Time and then do it together. Last year, California had a vote showing overwhelming support from the state to stick with daylight saving time all year. Studies show changing the clocks can increase crashes on the roads and lead to health issues. I hope personally, that when we move our clocks forward this weekend, that we never have to turn them back. MLA Linda Larson has introduced a private member's bill proposing a new time zone for B.C. and along the coast, the Pacific Daylight Standard Time Zone. I'd love to see us on the same time zone as the rest of the province of British Columbia, which is, as you know, the northeast and the southeast have been on daylight savings time already. The time starts ticking on Sunday, with six months to decide if we'll ever have to go through this archaic tradition again. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A reprieve tonight for a picturesque lookout high in the mountains between Sycamuse and Revelstoke. Thousands of dollars and hundreds of volunteer hours had gone into restoring the historic Eagle Pass fire lookout. But a year and a half ago, the province issued a stop work order, worried they hadn't received the proper approval for restoration. There were concerns the work would have to be reversed. The province now says the lookout can stay, but it will be designated unsafe for use until follow-up assessments are done. Vancouver Island's Malahad Highway is mostly known these days as an especially dangerous stretch of road. But the people behind the Sea to Sky gondola and a local First Nation are hoping to make it part of a spectacular new tourist attraction. Kylie Stanton reports. It's a 25-kilometer winding stretch of highway that drivers usually race to get through. 
But a new proposed project could soon give people a reason to slow down and take in the scenery. We're building a, a, an environmentally sensitive and, and sustainable tourist uh, experience on the Malahat Highway. Here's where the proposed attraction would go, just one kilometre north of the Malahat Summit. And here's what it would look like. A 40-metre-tall wooden spiral tower that allows visitors to climb through the Arbutus Forest, culminating at a lookout. So you can uh, see everything from the Gulf Islands over to Mount Baker and down over to the Olympic Peninsula, so it'll be uh, pretty spectacular. The project is privately funded, a partnership between the Malahat Nation and Aspire by Nature, the same company that's behind the Sea to Sky Gondola in Squamish. Similar to that venture, the goal is to combine nature-based tourism while sharing the history of the Indigenous culture. We're not just putting Malahat on the map as an area, but we're putting Malahat on the map as a place to do business. So we're able to work with parties, we're able to develop relationships and move projects forward. If successful, the project is expected to provide an economic boost, creating roughly 100 construction jobs and between 20 and 50 full-time positions. As for the number of tourists, as many as 250,000 are expected to make a stop each year. This is part of our strategy, is to get people out of the downtown core and experiencing more of our region, so this fits perfectly. But this is still early stages. It must be approved by the Cowichan Valley Regional District and the provincial government. So far we've had uh, lots of positive feedback and so we're, we're encouraged. The hope is to open the attraction in spring of 2020. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Are you apologizing for anything today? Um, I will be making an Inuit apology this afternoon. For his role in the SNC-Lavalin affair, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau maintaining his office did nothing wrong. The Prime Minister's statement today had been billed by some as a change in tone from his previous comments on the scandal. But Trudeau only conceded he should have been more aware of an erosion of trust between his office and former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould. Needless to say, that's not nearly good enough for his critics. Keith Baldry reports. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau may be in the political fight of his life and today admitted for the first time there had been a breakdown between his office and his former Attorney General over the SNC-Lavalin affair. There was an erosion of trust uh, between uh, Ms. Wilson-Raybould and uh, my office, particularly between her and Jerry, uh, that I was not aware of uh, and I wish I had known about it earlier. His early morning news conference came one day after his former chief advisor told the House Justice Committee that no interference was brought to bear on former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybo to give SNC-Lavalin a break on criminal charges, as she alleges. We thought it would be um, an appropriate step to get seasoned, eminent advice from a jurist that would help flesh out the process around the law. And... That's all we were trying to do. There was nobody trying to make the AG make one decision or another. Today, the Prime Minister struck a slightly more contrite tone than previously, but stopped well short of offering any kind of apology. I continue to say that there was no inappropriate pressure. I'm obviously reflecting on lessons learned through this. The Prime Minister's comments today elicited scorn and condemnation from his critics. Canadians had hoped that maybe Mr. Trudeau would apologize for the way Ms. Wilson-Raybould was treated, maybe apologize for the pressure that was improperly placed on her, but we didn't see an apology. 
We didn't see really an admission of fault. Nothing I heard this morning leads me to believe that he's taking any personal responsibility on this. He continues to blame other people, uh, everybody but himself. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister continues to emphasize the jobs component of the SNC-Lavalin issue, hoping that will change the channel from the current storm. Did you have any evidence of 9,000 jobs potentially being lost? Um, we uh, had uh, heard representations from uh, various sources, including the company itself. It's unlikely this issue will disappear anytime soon, but where it goes next is anyone's guess. Keith Baldry, Global News. Another twist tonight in the ongoing battle between President Donald Trump and his former lawyer. Michael Cohen is suing the Trump Organization for nearly $2 million. He claims the organization agreed to pay for his work-related expenses, including legal fees, but stopped paying in December of 2017. In the lawsuit, Cohen repeats claims he paid hush money to two women for Trump. Cohen has been sentenced to three years in prison for campaign finance violations, tax evasion, and lying to Congress. For years, he was one of the most powerful men in Washington, D.C., culminating with his position as President Donald Trump's campaign manager. Today, Paul Manafort appeared in a wheelchair before a judge to begin his sentencing hearing on tax and bank fraud. Paul Manafort, in a wheelchair wearing a green jumpsuit, appeared before a Virginia judge tonight, a dramatic conclusion to his year-and-a-half-long court battle. He's been convicted of financial crimes, including tax and bank fraud, crimes for which he did not apologize today, though he asked for compassion. Manafort told the judge the last two years have been the most difficult years for him and his family, adding, in his first public comments since November 2017, to say I have been humiliated and shamed would be a gross understatement. Manafort was the political veteran brought on by the upstart Trump campaign in the spring of 2016, hired to help prevent a rebellion at the Republican convention and eventually promoted to lead the campaign. But even then, his ties to Russia haunted him. He stepped down that summer because of growing questions about his business dealings overseas. Since then, the president has tried to distance himself. Now, Paul Manafort's a nice guy, but, you know, he worked for me for a very short period of time, literally for, like, what, a couple of months? But more recently, he's praised Manafort for not flipping on him. I have great respect for what he's done in terms of what he's gone through. It's very sad what's happened to Paul, the way he's being treated. It could get worse for Manafort. He faces more prison time in a separate case in Washington. President Trump says he has not offered a pardon, but is not taking it off the table either. For his former campaign chair, a possible lifeline in a stunning fall from grace. And late this afternoon, Manafort was sentenced to 47 months in prison, far less than the 20 years called for by federal sentencing guidelines. Another shocking video that demonstrates why a lot of people are still uncomfortable with autonomous cars. That's right, a passenger in a vehicle on a California freeway capturing video of a Tesla driver who appears to be asleep. The assumption not confirmed that the man is relying on Tesla's autopilot feature. The automaker does specify that the autopilot requires active driver supervision and does not make the vehicle autonomous. The city of Bend, Oregon, population 94,000, has a new claim to fame tonight. When the last blockbuster video store in Australia closes later this week, Bend will literally have the last blockbuster on earth. At the company's peak, there were more than 9,000 blockbuster stores. The Bend store still attracts crowds, but mostly tourists. The store cashing in by selling them memorabilia like T-shirts and stickers. 
In Health Matters tonight, it is supposed to be a carefully controlled procedure in voluntarily admitting someone to hospital for a mental health issue. But a sobering new report by BC's ombudsperson says in the majority of cases, hospitals are denying mentally ill patients their legal rights. When the Community Legal Assistance Society investigated mental health detentions in BC back in 2017, they found a number of troubling violations. Patients often aren't told the reasons that they're being detained or given access to the written reasons for their detention, which makes it very hard to understand why a decision has been made and give that patient the opportunity to challenge that decision. It's why Johnston says the latest report from the ombudsperson comes as no surprise. The provincial watchdog examined involuntary admissions at 71 psychiatric facilities. This following complaints by patients and their families who said their rights were being denied. The findings of the investigation reflect what we in the community have been saying for years, which is that disregard and uh, violations of patients' rights are routine in the detaining facilities. The investigation focused on the completion rates of six authorization forms on the files of patients involuntarily admitted to a psychiatric facility. They found those forms were only completed 28% of the time. Alzheimer's patients and their families telling stories of being kept in care without any paper trail of consent. The degree of non-compliance was certainly a surprise. That's why Mental Health Minister very, very Judy Darcy says all of the health authorities are now working on implementing the report's 24 recommendations. That includes training for physicians and healthcare providers. We're already working on standards that need to be in place across the province. We're already working on developing tools for patients and their families so that they can understand uh, about involuntary admission under the Mental Health Act and also their rights. BC's Attorney General has committed to setting up an independent legal rights advice service for mental health detainees, something Johnston says will help ensure patient rights are not violated. That is Stuart Global News. Snowmobilers in Yellowstone Park are stopped in their tracks by a bison that wouldn't let them by. Every time they tried to pass, the bison would jump in front of them. Some thought the bison was angry, others thought he was being playful. Eventually, they were able to get past. Just had to show a little patience and uh, they were finally on their way. A little cheeky, I think. Maybe it looked playful, but I don't know. I'm not a bison expert. Well, the world has a, I didn't think so, Jay. No. <laughs> well, the world has a new influencer, and she might be the biggest yet. Yeah, after the forecast, we'll tell you why Queen Elizabeth is blowing up social media. Uh, she's going to be hooked now. It's a slippery slope. A lot of people are Instagramming today about the weather. Lots of snow shots out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that cell that we talked about earlier is now over Metro Vancouver. Tower cam shot showing it as rain, if you can see that. So no flakes. That is good news. Temperatures around 4 or 5 degrees right now. The problem with this type of scenario is that these pockets can change in intensity very suddenly. Uh, so there is a chance that if it becomes more intense, it could transition to snow. So we'll be watching it, but right now, just rain, thankfully, and that will push towards the mountains. But we still have a lot of instability to get through. Can you see these pockets? So these cells can run into us pretty much anywhere across the lower mainland. But then we'll see some breaks of blue sky. That is your Friday, everyone, that we have to contend with. And that instability is also pushing in through the interior regions. You've seen anywhere from 5 to 15 centimeters in through the interior. Tomorrow will ease off a little bit. So we're talking about a 40% chance of these isolated cells. And yes, everyone 
we do have still a good, a nice weekend in store for you. So if you're feeling like this, Greg in uh, Coquitlam building this snowman this morning saying, all right, we've had enough. Uh, yes, a couple things to look forward to. Not only are we going to see sunshine through the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, still looking nice. But, of course, we talked about that. We're changing the clocks. We're springing forward, which means I know we lose an hour of sleep. But sunset will be at 10 after 7. Your days will feel much longer. And spring starts officially on March 20th. So we're about two weeks away from uh, spring. So if that helps your situation compared to... Uh, than what you saw this morning. Uh, hopefully that does. There's the sunshine continuing with that pattern across the north. It's just southern regions that are experiencing the snow flurries. So into the Columbia region, that's where we'll see the majority of it. Two to four centimeters, that's it. The bulk of it you've already seen. And for the south coast, just a chance of an isolated shower or flurry through our day on Friday. Pockets of blue sky in there as well. Saturday sunshine, sunshine. Saturday, Sunday, <laughs> not sunshine, but uh, sunshine still on your Sunday as well. And then we, we're returning to rain on Monday. And I'll leave you with a shot of the cell that pushed in across the Strait of Georgia just in the last hour. Great uh, shot from Galliano. Thanks to Charlene for that. All right. Beautiful. Thank you, Christy. There you go. Saturday, Sunday. That's what you've been waiting for. Hopefully that doesn't change. <laughs> We'll see. Fingers crossed. Uh, Queen Elizabeth proving once again that even at the age of 92, she's keeping up with things. 43 years after she sent her first email, the Queen today published her first Instagram post using the royal iPad during a visit to London Science Museum. The Queen shared a letter sent by 19th century mathematician and computer pioneer Charles Babbage, the Queen Victoria's husband, uh, Prince Albert. Now the Queen neglected to add hashtags, which would normally limit its visibility, but... When you're the queen, you don't need them. Her post has already gathered more than 170,000 likes. There you go. I love it. The royal iPad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't think you would have thought years ago that that would have been said. <laughs> it comes with an official sticker on it, too. But she's on the board, her very first one. Well, we have said that uh, so many new faces, it could take a little while for the, the white caps to gel. Yes, I think it... I would say give it at least a month or maybe two. Right. It's a long season, of course. Uh, and we have seen in the past the Whitecaps have started great and then they've ended badly. So maybe try it the other way. Try the opposite. <laughs> uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps are in Salt Lake for a game this Saturday, a team that made it to the second round of the playoffs last year. The Caps will be underdogs in that game. And quite frankly, you have to think of the Vancouver Whitecaps like they're a detergent commercial where they say this product is new and improved. <laughs> Or at least that's the goal. The 2019 Whitecaps are certainly new with all the player changes, but the improved part isn't quite there yet. And nobody really expects it to be there after just one game into the regular season. But head coach Mark DeSantos knows this. He wants the learning curve to go straight up fast. We already know it's a new group. We already know it's a process. We already know it's going to take time. So that's why I don't want to talk about it. It's nice of you to remind me, but don't anymore, please. <laughs> I, I want this to work, and I'm very committed to make it work. Well, it almost worked in the opening game against Minnesota, but Vancouver allowed three goals, which is usually death in a soccer game. However, they did make a strong push at the end and nearly tied it up. You saw this team fighting to get the tying to get the tying goal, uh, to get at least a draw out of that match, and, and we, we deserved it. 
Allowing three goals in the home opener was initially disappointing for Mark DeSantos, but upon further review, he saw a lot of good in the loss. When I, when I went back home uh, and reviewed the game and put everything in perspective, I said to myself, okay, first time these guys played together an official game. Uh, there was pockets in the game that we it didn't look like it was the first time we were together. I think you saw that the, the style that we want to play from the first game, but this isn't going to happen overnight. And I know everybody wanted to see the final product in, in week one, but again, this is a long season, and, and this is a philosophy, this is an identity, and a culture that that needs time and it needs work. And if we're prepared to do that work, we're going to be successful. All right, last night they did the impossible, beat the Leafs after being down 2-0 after two periods. Now see how the Canucks do in Edmonton. Thatcher Demko in goal for this one. Marks from getting a break after uh, playing last night and playing well. Nice save on Leon Dreisaitl. Derek Pouliot loses to puck. The former Canuck, Sam Gagne, who quickly throws it out in front. And Alex Chason makes it 1-0 for Edmonton. Gagne seems to have revitalized himself going back to Edmonton. That made it 1-0. Then, after a power play, the Canucks had failed. It's Dreisaitl. It's McDavid. Speaking of former Canucks, it's Zach Cassian. Playing with the big guys. One more look. The move here. The quick pass. Late in the first period, Edmonton up 2-0, so the Canucks will have to rally to another 2-0 deficit if they want to win. Boys 4A basketball championships were in the quarters. That is Diego Mafia. Earlier this season, scored 94 points in one game for Oak Bay. Hits the basket here, but Oak Bay was outdone big time by Terry Fox. Ranked number three, Jacob Mann with a nice basket here. Quarter finals going on tonight at the Langley Event Center. All right, we showed you this earlier. Phil Mickelson's ball is underneath the fence, still in bounds. He's a left-hander, but he's going to go right-handed with the club turned upside down. Some Jimi Hendrix thing. (laughs) Upside down in the wrong way. And where does it go? Into the fence. And then falls. Out of bounds. One more look. One more look. In the fence. Caught up. And now it falls out of bounds. This was on the 10th hole. He took a double bogey six. But despite that, he's actually in third place. Uh, Three shots off Rafa Bello. Rafa Cabrera Bellows lead at minus seven. Roger Sloan and Adam Hadwin both at minus two. Breyer unbeaten Northern Ontario against BC, and this is when Northern Ontario scores five. Puts the game away, 11-5. Northern Ontario still unbeaten. BC is four and four. To Whistler, World Championships, bobsleigh and skeleton. This is the women's skeleton. First two runs today, next two runs tomorrow. Tina Herman of Germany set a track record in her first run. In her second run, a little bit slower, but still leads by 35 one-hundredths of a second, and Germany holds the top three spots going into tomorrow. Whoa. So that's what they do with all those foamies. Um, Morella Ravneva of Canada, who actually finished second to Herman in Calgary last month, a rough second run here, very rough. Got banged around, was in tears when it was over. She is 12th with two runs to go tomorrow. Here's your snow report for tonight. Finally, some snowfall across some southern BC mountains. Whistler Blackcomb only getting one centimeter. Grouse picked up three, though. Cypress seven, and same for Sasquatch. 
Revel Stoke has a nice new 18 centimeters of fresh snow. Fernie 2, Manny Park a nice 12, Whitewater 3. Big White, Silver Star, and Sun Peaks all getting a ton of new snow. Big White the most at 18, Silver Star 10, Sun Peaks 12. Kicking Horse, Mount Washington, and Powder King, unfortunately no new snow in the past 24 hours, but they should get some in the coming days. Coming up on ET Canada, the latest on the explosive R. Kelly scandal, plus celebrity action to Alex Trebek's fight with cancer. And Jason Priestley's poignant message about his good friend Luke Perry. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you. Okay, thanks very much. He was a colorful character who helped found the city of Vancouver, but apparently he didn't pay all of his bills on time. The evidence of Gassy Jack's financial shortcomings and a fascinating glimpse into Vancouver's sometimes sketchy past up for auction this weekend. Here's Ted Field. For many people walking through Gastown, Gassy Jack Dayton is just a name on a weird statue standing on top of what looks like a beer keg. But he was a Vancouver trailblazer. In the 1860s, a sawmill opened on the shores of Burrard Inlet, and he saw a business opportunity. Men sitting on a coastline, cutting down some trees, nothing to do. So the wife, the dog, the mother, the cousin, and a barrel of whiskey. And he shows up on the shores of Burrard Inlet, and he uh, opens a saloon. Other people started moving to Gassy's town, and eventually Gastown was given the more formal name, Vancouver. It seems even way back when, Vancouver was a pricey place to live. When Gassy Jack died, he left behind $5,000 in debt, sort of a 19th century line of credit. John Irving, 500 bucks he owed him. Uh, most famously or most meaningfully to me is John Irving, who was uh, someone that Gassy Jack had written a letter to saying, hey, I owe you 500 bucks, but things are not great. I need some time to pay. And of course, poor old Gassy Jack died before he could make good on that debt. The IOU list for one of the city's founders is up for auction this weekend. Everyone owed each other money, and promissory notes were uh, the coin of the realm, so to speak. Gassy Jack lived a life chasing gold, operating as a riverboatman, but the hotel and saloon made him famous. He realized that the money to be made in the gold rush wasn't necessarily the hard work of digging the gold out of the ground. It was parting the miners from their gold. After the debts were paid, there was $300 left. It went to his mother. The idea of having a piece of history has its allure. Maybe you could hang it in a Gastown condo. As long as you fla framed it in such a way that the ink didn't uh, fade. Ted Field, Global News. If I went through life with the nickname Gassy, would I think that's a good thing or a bad thing? You'd want to clarify. Yeah, exactly why are they calling me Gassy? Yeah. It's, well, it's because he talked a lot, right? I guess I so. Because if you Field went to someone's you know, house or place of business and said, call me Gassy, it's like, yeah. I'm calling you out of here. Yeah. We'll go with it. Just go with it. I'm okay with it. Yeah, you got to leave, yeah. sir. I know Can I have my, another 500? I know my three and seven year old boys would find it absolutely hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't burst their bubble now. Keep yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, keep the story <laughs> yeah. going, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, one last look at the weather before we go. Sure. So we still have isolated pockets. It's only a 40% chance through our day tomorrow. Otherwise, the weekend looking really nice, everyone. So enjoy. Okay. Hopefully it doesn't change. No. <laughs> I'm hoping it doesn't either. <laughs> Fingers crossed, everyone.